This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They gotta be some tight asses, don't you think? Oh, they take it <laughs> yeah. very yeah. seriously. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Putting fake money where their big mouths are. Money talks, then a game that I pick. Believe me, it's a winner. What I know could get you rich, because all I pick is winners. Money talks. Mackie and Judd are picking games for this weekend against the spread. Are they pros or Joes? Let's find out. All right, all right. Home stretch time. Just a few weeks left. And the standings are tight, although Judd pulled a, a heist this week in the pros or Joes. We'll get to the standings. We'll get to this week's five games, including Vikings against Carolina. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Uh, this is a fun slate of games. Starting last night, just a bunch of contenders going toe-to-toe, Todd Furman. Uh, even like the, this Seattle-Jacksonville game that you thought two months ago, that's not going to be much, but it is a couple of 8-4 and four teams. So you looking forward to a fun weekend this weekend? Yeah, definitely a little bit more excited than what we've seen over the last couple weeks with a lot of duds here. We'll start to figure out how the playoff pecking order is coming together in both the NFC uh, and, of course, the AFC, and even a pair of 6-6 six and six teams still vying to uh, remain relevant in the AFC West. Uh, should be an intriguing watch between Kansas City and Oakland before that division plays itself out as well. Uh, your, your thoughts on the uh, purple here and, and where things stand, because, uh, Todd, I've said this, if they beat Carolina on Sunday, I think you're talking about a very, very viable chance of 14-2 uh, and two for uh, for the Vikings. It was a big win last weekend, no doubt. I mean, beating the Falcons outright uh, as slight underdogs. We saw that number go from a field goal down to two and a half uh, amid some injury issues uh, for the Falcons in their secondary. And the Vikings have to believe right now they'd love an inside track to the number one seed and never have to leave the Twin Cities uh, en route to getting to the Super Bowl and being the first team to play in their own building uh, with a chance to take home the Lombardi Trophy. You going to make a trek up here for the Super Bowl? No, toying with the idea, it may happen. It all depends on uh, some of the scheduling issues. I'm just wondering if the Vikings are actually playing the Super Bowl, how much does that potentially hurt the economy up there if you don't get a second fan base making the pilgrimage? Oh, I think there'll be plenty of, uh, if they keep the bars open till four, I think the locals will probably spend plenty of money if the Vikings are that good. I want you to come up here so that we can go further down your degen path in life and have you bet on some high-level Minnesota State High School hockey games. I mean, we can always try and open up that Pandora's box. I'm going to need some sources on the inside, though, and uh, me trading text messages with 16-year-old starting goalies, I don't think, uh, is an area I want to go down. Not in this particular climate these days. I don't know. I mean, you know. 
<laughs> it could work, Furman. You know what? You need to try and get folks uh, that are willing to share information. And if uh, some you know key players on first lines are shotgun and beers uh, more than 24 hours before <laughs> the first start, if they've had a traumatic breakup or girls say no to potential dating situations, yeah. that plays a big role when you're handicapping high school sports. Uh, I it love how true. you think, Furman. I Emo- love how you think. Emotional swings. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. So here are the standings. Uh, we're all above 500, doing very well. Uh, Judd went 5-0 and last week. 5 and 0 39 25 and 1 on the season. Uh I went 3 and 2 36 28 and 1 3 games behind Judd and Dave went 2 and 3 after a 5 and 0 week last week and he drops to 35 29 and 1 a game behind me 4 games behind Judd. It's still anybody's game. A 1 and 4 or an 0 and 5 could uh could swing things very quickly. So let's start with this one. Green Bay maybe in their final game without Aaron Rodgers, a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road over lowly, firing everybody Cleveland. Judd, it'll go Judd, me, Dave this week. I'm not quite sure what to make of this game in some ways because, as you uh, talked about, Phil, uh, Brett Hundley will still be starting for Green Bay, but I can't see how it helps Cleveland to, uh, to have fired uh, their GM and basically made all these changes. That's not the type of thing that, to me, causes a team to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to rally around things. Uh, so Cleveland being Cleveland, I am actually going to uh, take Green Bay and uh, give the points on the road. Yeah, I think uh, it's so tempting because yeah, Cleveland's going to win a game at some point, right? And uh, then you then you start to come back to reality and say, there's just no reason. I don't want to take the bait on Cleveland. I'll make them prove it. And uh, it just feels like if Cleveland is, uh, if, if a team is favored by something less than a touchdown over Cleveland, it just feels like the right play here. So Green Bay, I will pick to uh, to cover that three and a half, Dave. Yeah, you guys make a lot of sense. But if Cleveland's going to win, it will be this week. Three and a half at home. I'll do it. I'm all in on the Browns. Wow. Let's go. There it is. All right. Uh, professional money guys has come in on the Browns this week. Some of the three and a half that were out there in the market early starting to disappear, trending towards a field goal. You look at this Green Bay team, and you can make the case that Cleveland might actually have the more talented roster when the Packers play without Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Deshaun Kaiser has struggled immensely at turning Cleveland drives into points, uh, let alone in the red zone and some of their low levels of inefficiency there. But everyone uh, circling next week's date with an Aaron Rodgers return, Green Bay better take care of business here. Uh, And the general professional sentiment out there uh, is that the Packers shouldn't be more than a field goal favorite on the road against anybody in the National Football League. Uh, Pittsburgh at home, five-point favorites over division rival Baltimore. Uh, this is a little bit of a tough one because uh, I I can't decide if I should be should go with my gut, Judd, and say the Shazier injury is going to cause uh, Pittsburgh to rally around a situation that really really uh, stinks and is very tough, and therefore they'll cover the spread. Or if I should go what I learned last night sitting at the kitchen table doing research. And that is that in this rivalry, for the most part, uh, the underdog does very well. In fact, the underdog had covered five consecutive times in the series before the Steelers, um, or before the Steelers, yes, beat the Ravens. It's three and a half point favorites earlier this year. I am going to go not with my gut, but with what the facts say, and I will take Baltimore and take the points. So I feel like Baltimore is one of the sneaky good under the radar teams in the NFL the last month or so. Everyone kind of bailed on them with their bad start, and Joe Flacco is having one of the worst seasons of his career. Uh, but it's a shorter week for Pittsburgh. They took a beating in that game against Cincinnati, and Baltimore has one of the better pass defenses in the NFL. In fact, I believe they're holding opposing quarterbacks to a lower passer rating than Jacksonville is. 
even this season. So I'm going to go Baltimore to keep this one close or win it outright, Dave. Love the reasoning from both of you. For me, it comes down to who I distrust more, if that makes any sense. And I think that's the Steelers in this case. Uh, I do like the Baltimore defense to keep it close and probably low scoring. So that uh, that five is too rich for me. Give me this, the uh, Ravens. There has been some professional money that's coming on the Ravens. This number opened as high as six. You guys hit on a lot of the key things factoring into this equation. Pittsburgh having a short week. You know, what the focus will be like knowing their fallen comrades still going through, you know, spinal stabilization surgery. Haven't had a report there in terms of what Ryan Shazier's prognosis look like. The suspension of Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't help their offense at all. On the flip side, this number probably on a true point spread perspective should be in that seven, seven and a half range. But familiarity breeds contempt, and that's what has professional betters looking to gravitate towards taking the generous points, especially given the fact that win or lose Pittsburgh's season and their ability to try and lock up the number one seed in the AFC won't hinge on a win against Baltimore. It'll come next weekend when the Patriots come to town. Jacksonville at home as a two and a half point favorite over Seattle. This one is also difficult. Um, there, there are certainly compelling cases to take the Jaguars. However, with the way Seattle is playing, and most importantly with the way that that Wilson is playing, even going against a very good Jacksonville defense, if you're going to give me points in this case, I am going to take the Seahawks' complete gut feel here. So I'm going Seattle. Um, I, my, I, I think a lot of people are going to have that same opinion, and this is this is not scientific. It feels like. The instant reaction is, oh, Seattle's getting points. Oh, see, it feels like 80% of people are going to be on Seattle here. I'm going to run the other way and take Jacksonville to win by more than uh, a field goal. My thoughts exactly, Phil. Uh, that number seems like it's screaming, pick Seattle, pick Seattle. So let's go Jags to hold serve at home and win it by more than a field goal. Look at you boys trying to take the contrarian angle in this particular spot. But you are correct in the fact that Seattle drawing a ton of support uh, from the general public, about three out of every four tickets to early wagering on Seattle. However, this number opened three and a half with Jacksonville installed as over a field goal favor. Professional bettors grabbed those points, knew that number wasn't going to exist in the market. But we talk about it all the time, handicapping this game at three and a half, very different than two and a half. And at two and a half, you'll see professional money coming in on the Jags on the strength of their defense and some skepticism that this Seattle team isn't nearly as good as they looked last Sunday night uh, against Philadelphia. And that their offensive line will see its most formidable task of the season, trying to slow down that Jacksonville defensive front, which leads the NFL in sacks. Interesting. All right, Rams two and a half point favorites over Philadelphia, Judd. Uh, now, Philadelphia lost, as Todd just said, on Sunday night in Seattle and actually did not go home. They stayed out west, went right to uh, Los Angeles and practiced out out there all week. I can't help but feel, though, like this is the start of the Eagles, um, a little bit being the 2009 Vikings, where where late in the season they came unraveled just a little bit. These two teams are actually statistically pretty equal, and so despite the fact I'm giving points, I am going to take the home team. I am going to take the Rams to cover. Yeah, uh, you and I differ for uh, for the second game in a row here. I, I my, my logic, again, is very simple here. I think Philadelphia is better than Los Angeles. And they're getting points. So I'll take the better team that's getting points in this case. Uh, why not the same thing with Seattle-Jacksonville? I think Jacksonville's defense might stifle the Seahawks. So I'll take Philadelphia, the better team, and the points there. Dave? I'm going to agree with Judd this time. I think the Rams are very likely the better team. It'll be interesting to see how it matches up on Sunday with Philly staying out there all weekend. But, yeah, I think the Rams at home do it. This number's interesting for a few reasons. Had the game taken place last weekend, we'd be talking about Philadelphia, a two-point road favorite against wow. the Rams. 
Uh, public perception obviously changed based on 60-minute body of work and the Rams continuing to get things going offensively. At the same time, you do have an injury concern for Philadelphia. Zach Ertz really changes the dynamics of what Philadelphia is able to do moving the football, especially down the middle of the field. So that's why there was professional money that took the Rams. They laid the one early, pushed this number out to two and a half. But one thing to keep in mind as well, you may see some buyback. Uh, a lot of skepticism in terms of what these Southern California wildfires will do for the Rams preparation. Philadelphia, as you guys mentioned, uh, out there all week. They've been practicing in Anaheim with uninterrupted. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to kind of see how this thing ultimately unfolds. Interesting. In the final game of the week here, Todd Furman from the uh, Bet the Board podcast, Vikings on the road as two-and-a-half-point favorites in Carolina. Judd? All the Vikings do these days is win football games. Not only that, all the Vikings do these days is Zim cover spreads. I have been on, on this bandwagon for quite a while now. There is no compelling case to change at this point, so I am going to give the points, and I'm going to take the Vikings, even though they are on the road for a third consecutive week. Yeah, at some point, it's going to make sense to to start selling stock on the Vikings in these cases, but I don't think Carolina is the right opponent to to do that. So the Vikings have been a covering machine. They've dominated Cam Newton under Mike Zimmer in the two appearances against him. And I think they make life miserable again for Cam Newton, who's not a very accurate passer. And if you're just going to try and beat a Mike Zimmer defense with your legs, it's not going to happen. So I'll take the Vikings. I already said earlier in the show by more than a touchdown. So obviously by more than two and a half, Dave. Make it a sweep. You said it. They make life miserable for Cam Newton and every other quarterback they come in contact with. And all they do is cover spread. So why jump off the train now? Boys, continue to drink the Vikings Kool-Aid, but fortunately for the three of you, the professional bettors agree in this particular wow. spot. Uh, number open one, the Vikings got as high as a field goal. There was a little bit of buyback at Carolina at that point. Some concern about the Vikings playing so many games in a row on the road. Uh, that's never really a recipe for success, uh, but the matchup definitely favors uh, the Vikings. And knowing what's at stake from here on out, uh, every win still very meaningful as far as trying to secure home field advantage throughout the NFC, and that's why professional bettors have gravitated towards this Viking defense matched up with a slightly one-dimensional Carolina offense. There it is. Hey, what can people find on your Bet the Board platforms and podcasts this weekend, Todd? Uh, covered a lot of the big games that we discussed here, in addition to a few others. Uh, broke down some of our thoughts on not only the college football playoff, but how things will look for the NFL playoff picture going forward. I uh, talked about some of the house liabilities and, of course, where the pros and Joes action goes in a little bit more extended format uh, than we can cover with you guys every Friday uh, during our limited time slot. Awesome, man. Thank you, Todd Furman. We'll catch you again next week. See you, Furman. Always a pleasure, guys. Good luck with those picks. All right. Hey, we're doing well. Hey, even like yeah. even uh, me Not and bad. Dave at the bottom of the standings are multiple games over. This is the first time all three of us have been well over 500 since mm -hmm. we've been doing these picks, so. Good for us. Last year was uh, not kind to you, correct? Uh, no, no. Because two <laughs> years not. ago, you were at the state fair, weren't you? Yes, it was uh, terrible. Oh, See, that, with yeah. my record well, last year, my bet too. That's with right. my record this year. If it were last year, I'd probably be in the lead. I Seven think so, games yeah. over, or uh, what? Six over five hundred right now. Yep. Well, you know why? I'm doing. I, I, I've improved. Kitchen, kitchen table research. Kitchen table research. I sit down now and I crunch things, and we listen to you. Unless Phil accidentally or not accidentally sends me the list of games late on a Thursday night, in which case I then have to go on the fly and not do as well. In fact, don't think that that might uh, you not got, happen You got again me the picks. Season. You know what? You got me the picks early yesterday evening. You I, know, I got a thing next Thursday night. So well, maybe we could just come up with the games on Wednesday then. I have a lot of research to do. Listen, my inbox is a little full. I'm, my email's been having some problems, so I apologize in advance. You only sent them to Dave last time, that one time. <laughs> yes. You sent them to Dave on Very Thursday Very strategically. Night. Mackie and Judd now continue. Put on your big
Pretty Boy Pants, and let's go. Mackie and Joe on 1500 ESPN. We're so consumed and just keep uh, keep attacking each week, and uh, we're so busy throughout the week preparing uh, that um, you kind of forget about what, what you've done, and uh, I think that's a good thing, though. I think, uh, you know, you go through practice and you have a, a bad player or something that kind of sticks with you. And I think that's, uh, like I said, I think that's a good thing. Just keep working, keep getting better, and um, just kind of continue to get on the same page. You know, I think we're going to expect them to, to rush the pass uh, pretty well. So um, it's something that we have to, uh, to work on, to expect, and, uh, and uh, be ready to get the ball out. Uh, so you and Matthew Collar on the latest Purple Podcast did a deep dive, which people can find on iTunes or 1500ESPN.com, wherever they would find podcasts. Um, you you kind of put your opposing coach hats on yes. and tried to think up ways to scheme against the Vikings. Yes. So I, I, offensively and defensively. I asked Collar, I said, if you were going into a playoff game, uh, particularly against the Vikings, if you were about to play them in a playoff game, what would be your scheme to stop them offensively, and what would you try and exploit defensively? And the episode was only 30 seconds because you both agreed. There's nothing. It's not possible. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, number two is difficult. Like, I don't have an answer there. For, I, for stopping their defense? For, for exploiting defensive deficiencies, I don't have an answer. I'm not kidding you guys. Food poisoning. Yeah, injury. Fire alarm in the hotel. I'm not I'm not bleeping with you. No, fire alarm won't help. Are you kidding? These guys are mentally tough. They don't care. Pull the fire alarms. They're not going to give a damn. Offensively, though, we went down a very slippery and interesting slope. I said, and I've said this for a couple weeks now, my number one thing, if I was a defensive coordinator about to play the Vikings, my number one thing that I would do, at risk of even drawing penalties at times, I would beat Thielen and Diggs to a pulp on the line of scrimmage. I would not let them off the line of scrimmage. I would hit them. I would knock them down. Within the five yards, I would make them hate life because they have the ability, both of them are very good at going out in their pattern and continuing it and basically giving Keenum a bailout consistently. So I said my starting point would be to, as much as possible, take them away. And basically, every time that they that they start their route, I would hit them. And then Collar got into taking Keenum away and, and his options. And he started to paint a picture, and I said, Matthew, stop. You realize what you're saying. And he's like, no, what? I said, you are giving me, short of a bounty being put on Case Keenum, you are giving me the 2009 Saints game plan, which is take Favre and abuse him as much as possible. Make him as uncomfortable as possible. Because, Phil, the one thing is, I think we lack an appreciation for how good Keenum is at at surveying things and, and avoiding pressure. But that being said, there have been several occasions, it seems like, where, where we see replays where guys do sort of miss him, and he does a very good job of yeah. of escaping. But let's say you come up with a game plan and say, okay, don't let him ex- escape, or at least don't let the second guy do, do that. And so Collar, and he's not wrong, Collar's blueprint was if you make Keenum as miserable as possible and, and you hit him as often as possible, short of a bounty, that's a good starting point. Because the, the one thing that we did a- agree on is if you concede the run game to a certain degree, so if you go in and say the Vikings are going to have some success here, like we're not going to stop them entirely, but where where would we start? I said I would abuse Thielen and Diggs, and he basically said I, I would abuse Keenum. 
I would abuse Keenum as well. Um, I think I almost think you you have to risk getting burned deep if you're going to scheme against this Vikings offense, which is a it's just a an all encompassing attack. I think you have to look to fluster him and fluster him into making bad throws and get him back to being the guy that he was without the infrastructure that the Vikings have provided. If you can if you can make him throw a ball in the air and we've seen two or three that when it leaves his hand you're thinking, "Oh my god, the, no." The Washington throws. Yeah, to Thielen, yeah. "Oh my god, no." You know, he did throw a couple interceptions in that Washington game. Um that's the path right there. Of course, there's so many places to get rid of the ball quickly too that you can kind of counter if you're the Vikings. Oh, they're sending pressure or you can drop back, quick little three, five-step drop, and you can throw the ball up, and Thielen and Diggs are both fast enough to get it down the field. So even if you pressure Case Keenum, and he's, and I, if I recall, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe Matthew Collar did a study on this during the first couple of games of Case Keenum as a starter this year, that he's been really bad against pressure in his career, and this season it's different. Mm-hmm. That even against pressure, he's been pretty darn good so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Pro Football Focus. I'm getting this from a Scout.com. Pro Football Focus has a nugget that he's been kept clean on. Oh, this was against Atlanta. He was kept clean, and this is a this is indicative of his whole season. Kept clean on 73 percent of his dropbacks in that game, and was accurate on 92 percent of those occasions with a passer rating of 130. So, if you put it this way. If you let him sit back there, eye test or stats, however you want to measure it, he's carving teams. Yep. So your only choice, you can sit there and you can you know jam the receiver at the line of scrimmage and beat those guys up. But still, if Case Keenum has time to throw or is kept clean in the pocket, he's been able to deliver for three straight months. So I think it's kind of like Tom Brady. If if teams get after Tom Brady and make him flustered, he's not mobile enough to to be able to get around that. Um now Case Keenum can get away from pressure too, which is a Well, that's what you can't feather in his cap. That that's that's the thing is you you would have to go into the game saying we can't allow that. Now, now Collar also broached this. He said what he would do is probably change game plans from first to second half. He said in the first half I'd lay back more and and I I try and take take away his options, but the pressure might not be as great. Yeah. In the second half I'd blitz more to confuse him. I, I think what if you're going against Keenum, what you are saying to yourself is how can we, for even a half a football, get back to the guy who played for the Rams? Mm-hmm. How can we get that guy back? And I think the way to do it is to force him into feeling uncomfortable as much as possible and to force him into a and, – and the key with that is this. Because he moves around pretty well, what you have to do is take those lanes away and if you accept the fact that he can complete a few short passes and you can keep those guys in front of you and tackle them, that's a start. But Thielen and Diggs are so good at extending their routes, and Keenum is so good at at being able to escape pockets of pressure, your starting point would need to be to shut those things down, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, on the flip side, how would you you know put a dent in the Vikings' defense? Well, an injury could help you do that. So, I mean, those are obvious. Take a crowbar to Everson Griffin's say you're knee. Going back to the Saints yeah, game plan. Go, uh, go with the Nancy Kerrigan bit. But if 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 an injury doesn't take place, honestly, what I would do is I would target specifically Trey Wayne's, but also Xavier Rhodes, and I would throw eight passes, forty plus yards down the field against those guys. Go for PIs and go for pass interferences. That's what did. Yep, game changing pass interferences. Yeah. And so if if you don't think if you get the ball at your own twenty yard line, and you don't think you can play straight up and get down into the red zone more than like once or twice in that game against the Vikings defense, 
by just running six or seven plays that get you down there. The only other alternative is to throw the ball up in the air, 40 yards down the field, and Cam Newton can certainly do that, and let Trey Waynes grab somebody's arm or Xavier Rhodes bump into somebody, be too aggressive. And if you can just get two 40-yard pass interference calls, now you're in business. Mm-hmm. So that's, honestly, that's what I would look to do. I would just look to, now you might throw an interception in there, but that it's worth the gamble. If my choices are take big chunk shots down the field and hope that one hits or that I get pass interference calls against this Vikings defense, mm-hmm. or let's put together a perfect nine-play drive that gets us down to the 10-yard line and then be efficient against the best third down and red zone defense in the league, good luck. Good luck. That defense is so smart, and Harrison Smith is so smart, and they change things so quickly. That's the that's the thing I keep coming back to is this defense does not have, have a system per se. Like, you can't identify it and beat it because it changes constantly. Mm-hmm. And and your safeties, particularly Smith, do such a good job. A year ago, the formula was really simple. Anthony Barr is having a bad year. Get a a running back or tight end in space against him, and he's basically toast, right? I mean, a year ago, the Vikings defense was good, but because Barr was struggling so much, and that, that was that was an area of the game that you could exploit consistently. Well, that's gone now. He's playing well. So like there's no there's no definitive weakness I see that can be beaten because your core group of players is so good. And it's not just a system. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Joseph is phenomenal. So so if you try and run now, guess what? You can't do it. A year ago you could. Griffin is great. Hunter has big games still. Your linebackers are incredibly solid. They're really good, and your secondary is outstanding. And there's no, and they don't go by a system that you say, okay, if we just pick this system apart, we'll be fine. They basically change things up consistently, and they've got a group of five or six guys that are Pro Bowl players. I don't have a good answer for it. I mean, you might be right. Pass interference. Just That's throw really deep. It. Throw deep. Go get ninety yards get, and penalty yards or something. But yeah. I mean, we we've seen we have seen Wayne's picked on a lot, and guess what? It hasn't been bad. Yeah. Uh, more Vikings when uh, Superstar Mike Morris comes in around noon. We can get him in and get his thoughts on everything we've discussed so far today. Thad Levine made an appearance, Twins GM, on the Scoop podcast with Doogie. That was posted last night. You can go find it, listen to the whole thing. But he said a couple really interesting things about the Twins' plans here starting at the winter meetings this week and what we can be in store for. He was a little bit more open than maybe like Terry Ryan would have been in the same, in the same interview. Mackie and Judd will uh, we'll play a couple of clips from that when we come back. Okay. You gotta be in the know to know, you know? You gotta be in the know to know, you know? That's why you're listening to Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. If you want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV, here's what you gotta do. You join me, Dave Harrigan, at Jimmy's in Vadnais Heights tomorrow afternoon. I'll be out there from 2 to 4 getting you registered to win that brand new TCL TV. It's a college football viewing party, the ultimate college football viewing party sponsored by Dos Equis. Enjoy an ice cold one. Register to win that TV. Put game day over everything this college football season with Dos Equis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. All the details, 1500ESPN.com. That's 2 to 4 tomorrow. Jimmy's in Badness Heights. It's hard to prognosticate whether it's a foregone conclusion. I, and we continue to have active dialogue with a lot of teams on the trade front, a lot of agents on the free agent front. I, I do think pursuits are, are taking another higher level of pitch. I think clarity is starting to become a little bit more 
more there and present for the agents relative to what types of deals their, their clients are going to get. So it does feel like the, the market itself is starting to move a little bit, but you know, it takes, it takes another person to, to punch your dance card. So we're, we're going to be out there with our shoes on ready to, to, to do a little tangoing and we're hopeful somebody will join us here soon. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the twins doing some tangoing down in Orlando next week. Mm. At the uh, Major League Baseball winter meetings, that was... You're not supposed to be dancing. You're supposed to be making trades. <laughs> that was GM Thad Levine, uh, who joined the Scoop podcast with Doogie. He gets all kinds of big A-list local sports figures. You can find his podcast once or twice a week on 1500ESPN.com. Let's play a couple sound bites here. Thad was... Uh, he wasn't going to show all of his cards, but I think Thad is pretty good about being open and honest. And, hey, we we were disappointed that... We made a big pitch for Shohei Otani, and we wanted to make him our A priority, and he's pretty open about this stuff. So what else are the Twins thinking about here? Doogie asked him, when it comes to acquiring a starting pitcher or or just improving your pitching, are you looking more for trade avenues or spend money on a free agent? We go to the free agent market first because we'd much rather spend money than spend prospect and currency uh, we find that the the asks are pretty high as well. They should be to start the the off season. Then you go to the trade market, you find the same, and you go back to the free agent market. And then what what inevitably happens is uh, either the the asks come down a little bit, or your eye level goes up a little bit, or the combination therein, and you get a deal done. So hard to really handicap which is going to likely happen first. But we're we're spreading ourselves out to make sure that we are keeping our our eyes perspective wise across the whole marketplace. We're not hyper-focused right now. We're really casting the net pretty wide, and we've got a prep list of people we're targeting, but it's not the exclusion of listening to calls as they come in as well. And that, my my good friends, that is if you're an executive in any sport, the perfect answer to a question, right? I completely buy that. Like, he just gave you, he didn't tell you a thing about who they're going to pursue, and that's fine, but he basically told you, and I buy this, you go down there, you would prefer to buy a player, and not give up a prospect. However, it might be too expensive to buy a player or or you get outbid, and then you go and you try and make a trade, and if that doesn't work, you go back. So that what I really like about the these guys, I don't know if they're geniuses or not. They might be. But what I really like about them is the answers that they give make sense. Yeah, I love, I, I love the idea of your first option should be trading money for players. Yes. Because... Because if you get in the business of trading players for players, and then the player you let go is going to be valuable for somebody else for six years, you know, the Twins were unfortunate when Joe Nathan went down and needed Tommy John surgery. I think there were some elbow issues maybe the season before, and then they went to spring training with him, and turns out that it just wasn't going to work. Or I'm trying to think of the timeline. that They, they just wound up with John Roush and some other combination like Jesse Crane, mm-hmm. and they needed somebody in the middle of that season. Well, once you get to that point, you can't pay money for relievers you have to pay prospects and they wound up feeling like they had to pay Wilson Ramos a a future he had some injury issues but a future franchise catcher for a mediocre closer and a Matt Caps. Yep. So you don't want to get into a situation where you're trading maybe a star future shortstop or a premium position for an eighth inning guy or a number two starter if you could then just pay fifteen million dollars a year if you have it in your budget to pay that. So I like where he's going with that answer. What about just the bullpen in general? Where do you think it's at and uh, and and how do you foresee the team upgrading what was a very tenuous bullpen last year? I think we look at our bullpen as it's currently constituted. We, we have a lot of guys who are capable of getting more than just three outs. Point of fact, I think we have a lot of guys who can get 
somewhere between four and nine outs in a clip, and Trevor's certainly one of those guys. You know, you, you hate to lose a guy of Tre- Trevor's ability to a, a disabled placement for the whole year. Uh, the silver lining of it is you walk into the next year and you feel like you've acquired a free agent uh, without having to spend any money to do so. So he, he's coming back to us, and he's a guy who kind of just sits in the wings. Uh, he'll come in stretch, to stretch out as a starter. He may not be ready as of opening day, but we look at him as like bona fide starter depth uh, to start the season with a chance to really impact our 12-man pitching staff throughout the course of the year. So Trevor May is a guy, he's kind of a forgotten guy, and you know he's he was part of that Vance Worley trade for uh, Ben Revere, right, back right. in the, like, five years ago? Yep. And he's had some success as a starter a couple years ago. He's been a strikeout per inning guy as a starter, and more than that as a reliever. And I think there's a ton of potential for him to come back from Tommy John surgery, and if he's not in your starting rotation, maybe he's a guy that could go five outs, could go four, five, six outs out of the bullpen if needed mm-hmm. and be be a swing guy between the sixth and the eighth innings. I think there's a ton of potential for Trevor May to be a big strikeout reliever for you. He was a bullpen guy two years ago, and, the, and then he went to spring training competing for a starting rotation job last year before he got hurt, correct? Yep. Yeah, he was. Uh, he pitched. He had uh, 44 appearances out of the bullpen in 2016, had a five-plus ERA, but his expected ERA for his career is three and a half. Okay. So he's also had some pretty bad defenses behind him. Remember, he's a fly ball pitcher, and up until last year, they had guys like Danny Santana play in the outfield <laughs> it was and Miguel Sano yeah, right. in right field in 2016. And so if you're a fly ball pitcher, you're yeah. looking out there like, okay, who's going to track hey, down anything in the gap? You're much better off as a fly ball pitcher with Byron Buxton and Eddie Rosario and Max Kepler playing full seasons. No quite. Yeah, and this defense now is actually really good. You've, you've gone... Outfield-wise, you've gone from a complete gong show circus two years back to now you're really solid. Uh, So here's Thad Levine. Now, final clip for you here. Thad Levine on the Scoop podcast, and Doogie asked him six-year deal for a starting pitcher or long-term contract for a starting pitcher. How do you feel about that? And the reference here is you, Darvish, or anyone in that uh, you, Darvish category, who Thad Levine has been in communication with from his days in Texas. He's got a relationship with you. So here's what he said. I think there's two sides to that coin. And I'd say on the one side, there's kind of the rational empirical side, which is to say that, you know, more often than not, those deals come with some, some meaningful risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that the player is probably likely at some point to, to have a hiccup, whether that's a decline in talent or more likely an injury of some variety uh, that costs you some of the, that six year period. On the other side of the coin, you know, we're in a business that's hyper competitive and our aspirations are to win, not not just to win an award at the end of the year for being the most prudent front office. And so there's going to be times in, in our cycle where it'll be right for us to take a risk and maybe be a little bit less rational in our decision making. We're going to still try to be as strategic and smart as we possibly can. But there'll be times where it, w- it will be smart for us to make it a little bit more of a higher risk move. And that's going to be a decision that will be governed based upon a timing assessment uh, as well as like a talent assessment of the player. So he's saying two things there. Number one, there's a ton of risk in these long-term contracts, and we acknowledge that. But number two, if you have a short-term window to win a championship, his quote was, there are times where it's right to be less rational. That's exactly what the Tigers did when they went out and signed Miguel Cabrera, big trade, Miguel Cabrera, long-term contract, Prince Fielder. Yep. Screw it. 
That's that screw it mentality. Now they didn't win a championship in Detroit, but and in talking about a six year contract for a guy like Darvish, he didn't complete his sentence, which would have been, and that time is not now. It's not now. It's he's talking about, and he's right. This all goes back to if you think you have a chance to win a World Series, you get there through any means possible, right? I mean, if you need to make if you need to trade a super prospect, because you you say to yourself, if we trade this guy, the return is going to get us a World Series championship. You make that trade. If you need to give a guy a six year contract, knowing full well that that you'll get four years and two dead years, you sign that guy at that time. But I don't believe that time is now, and this is why I think that this team is going to go out on the open market and sign bullpen help, and I think they're going to try and trade for a pitcher. But I think what what he's talking about, which is a six year contract, which is a huge investment on a starting pitcher, that time is coming. It's just not now. I think I agree with you, but I would add from what he just said in that soundbite, they're willing to do it, and they will do it at some point, whether it's this off season or whether I it's completely a, a, agree a, a with big that. trade. That that's exactly that, what the, that there were times yes. in the last fifteen years where maybe they could have threw caution to the wind long term to really make a push for the short term, and they elected to keep those lifelines of prospects alive to help a long-term run of division championships. And it sounds like these guys are at some point going to say, you know what, let's overpay. This this is going to sound so simple, but it's something in sports that drives me crazy. Executives need to understand where their franchise is at. Executives need to understand. Detroit's fatal flaw was not saying, you know what, Dombrowski's right, we need to start bailing. We need to get prospects. Their fatal flaw was always saying, the Wild is doing it right now, I think. Well, we're, we're still competitive, right? Do you understand where you're at as a franchise? If you understand that, then then you make then you might take a risk at that time. But to continually take risks or basically not understand your place in the league, that's how you get behind. 651-646-8255, yeah. 651-646-8255. 1500 superstar Mike Morris about 15 minutes away and it's a game show Friday Mackie and Judd Bill Mackie Judd Zolgad I don't get Mackie and Judd It's very it's odd at times on 1500 ESPN Yeah he makes it difficult you know uh, anytime you have a multi-dimensional quarterback it uh you know adds that extra bit of toughness in terms of preparing for it um but I think we're up to the task Yeah fun week ahead here baseball winter meetings for the Twins See if they uh, come home with a with a pitcher or two pitchers, a reliever. Uh, Vikings in Carolina, home stretch. Baseball starts on Sunday, right? The winter meetings in Orlando. Uh, Sunday. So the the timeline is Sunday night. And by the way, we're going to be all over Touch 'Em All podcast, fifteen hundred ESPN dot com, keeping track of things and analyzing. But Sunday night is when everyone kind of congregates. It's also the minor league meetings and the broadcast, and so sure. there's just all kinds of agents are down there, but. The action usually takes place, the trades and the and the free agent signings, between Sunday and Thursday morning is the Rule 5 draft, and then everyone flies out. That's always a fun time of year for baseball. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Randy in Cottage Grove. What's uh, up, Randy? Yeah. What's up, Randy? Well, I, I you know, I, I'm excited, okay? Uh, Sunday is going to be great. It's another win for sure. I told you guys that. Few weeks ago, and said Zim's got the ship turned in the right direction, and we ain't gonna lose again. Okay, and and look who's been right so far. Who's that, Randy? I've been right. Okay, and here's the thing: you guys are doing this, playing, talking about baseball and whatnot. You gotta talk purple. It, as you said, you had a guest earlier who said, 
you you never know who's going to be gone, who's coming and going next year. You got to enjoy it while we, while while we're doing it and while we're winning. You you got to go wall to wall. I don't know why no one wants to hear anything about anything else right now. We're all in. Well, since you're uh, such an experienced program director, Randy and Cattersgrove, what Vikings topics that we haven't touched on already a million times this week would you like us to uh, dive into? Okay, well, there's a whole, I'll, I'll give you a whole slate, okay? I'll give you a whole okay. uh, no, notebook page, as you say, Jeff, and, and you can decide, hmm. uh, you know, which ones you think might be worth digging into after the big win Sunday and to really go, go deeper next week, okay? Yeah, I, here's a few. Uh, punting. You, you ain't talked about that at all, okay? You ain't been talking about punting at all. There's a whole lot of strategy. Do you think there's not that goes into punting? When do you punt? How deep do you kick it? Are you trying for that coffin corner, as they say? Or are you, are you, are you content to just kind of keep it in the middle of the field and not risk it going out of bounds? All sorts of stuff like that. You think mm. there aren't going to be some big punts? In these playoff games, oh, you think again? Okay? I mean, I don't remember the last time the okay. Vikings punted. Quite frankly, we're gonna we're gonna have to punt. I'll bet. I'll bet you. I'll bet you a, a, a pony keg on that. Okay, I don't number know, man. two. Number two. Uh, you you're not even and and you guys are so myopic about this year. How about the draft? Okay, we got a great draft class coming up. 2018 is going to be a big year, and I'm actually starting to put some pen to paper, at least a little pencil to paper on 2019. A couple of big defensive tackles that I like in the first round. As you start to see Linval get a little bit longer in the tooth, you know that's the kind of thing that we might start to think about in 2019, and that's the kind of content that people who really go deep on the purple, as you say, content, okay, they want to go and they want to consume it, and they want to eat it up. And you can't just talk about whatever you think you got to rotate your topics. Uh-uh, okay? Mm-hmm. This town is hungry. This town is ready. And when we win the Super Bowl this year, it's going to be a new era for sports talk. And no one's going to be talking about anything but the Vikes year-round. Did he just drop a myopic on us? Uh, that's a pretty big word for Randy and Cottage Grove. That's one, two, three syllables. That's huge. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. There might be more education here at work than we thought. Hmm. Did he use it correctly? Myopic. It was, it was a general insult. Nearsighted? No, he did. He completely did. Nearsighted. Yeah. No, he did. wonder if he's heard it at the doctor's office or something. <laughs> I could use that one, okay, Doc? Thanks. Yeah. I think he had his thesaurus or dictionary out or something. He was that's, just that's possible. randomly thumbing through pages. Ryan Quigley. More Ryan Quigley talk. I don't disagree. In fact, that's why we have the superstar Mike Morris coming in next. You know, oh, yeah. He's a special yeah. teamer for like 15 years. Let's go wall-to-wall punting strategy and get really granular between now and 1 o'clock. That'd be so, Sound good to you guys? Not be so myopic. <laughs> we'll try.